This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes. A deep dive into a topic inspired one of the, by ugh, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes and a quiz. I'm Emily and I'm Kyle and this is the week of June 27th, 2022, but before we get to Jeopardy, Emily, how are things? Oh, things are sabbatical. <laughs> things sabbatical. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm on sabbatical. Things, things are good. I am pretty checked out of work. I'm not supposed to be looking at my work email, but, you know, I, I am. I can tell you no one has emailed me <laughs> Ooh, how does that feel <laughs> it's pretty great i mean you know i've gotten like the regular you know kind of um spam like, yeah spam you know like promotional stuff but like the people who i actually work closely with they just stopped emailing me they're just dealing with things among themselves it's very strange wow and i've um i read a lot uh, anyway, wow. but <laughs> Jeez, brag um, much. But I, I, at least I talk about reading a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this week I've actually been re- reading a lot, and also I went on a nice hike, so that was good with my dog. She really liked it. Um, yeah. Nice. How about you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. The kids uh, did some summer camp, some day camp this week, which was pretty great. Love a day camp. Day camps are just the greatest. Yeah. Day camps are awesome. Yeah. So things are going fine. Nice. Oh, I um, an email just popped into my inbox, my personal inbox, not my work inbox. That reminded me that today I decided I would start learning Chinese on Duolingo. So good for you. (laughs) That's my new adventure. It's going better than i feared i guess okay yeah cool so (laughs) that uh will i guess kind of bring us into the week uh mayan bialik is hosting again uh according to the jeopardy fan she has three this is her third to last week hmm uh for the season and we will find out when Jeopardy makes their official announcement as to how hosting will will go next season. We'll find out her fate. Mm. I think she's she's been uh, doing fine. Yeah, I thought I think she's been doing fine. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, on Monday, June twenty seventh, we have the contestants Emma Henke, a writer from Madison, Wisconsin. Armand Sanchez, a high school teacher from San Jose, California, and Joe Feldman, a technology professional from Bethesda, Maryland, whose one-day cash winnings total $22,900. And we have the Jeopardy round categories F1 Grand Prix sites, I Speak for the Trees, Business Names, Summer's Here, More Than One Meaning, and Feeling Science E with E in quotation marks. And it was good that Speak for the Trees at the $200 level gives us the line, I speak for the trees, comes from this favorite by Dr. Seuss. That's the Lorax. That's the Lorax. I would have felt 
I would have felt ripped miffed. off. Yeah, if yeah. they didn't mention the Lorax. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I saw the category F1 Grand Prix sites and was like, oh, no, that one is, is not for me. And then it turned out that they crafted all of the clues, almost all of the clues in such a way that you didn't really need to know anything right. about Dave. auto racing. Yeah. Uh, you needed to know where the U.S. race is in in May, which is the Indy 500. And then like this Asian city sling there was there was like an F1 like connection there, but like Singapore sling, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was one that was like, which Russian city had the 2014 Olympics and had, you know, this Grand Prix thing happen. It was Sochi. And then there was uh, a question that was basically asking, in what country would you find Baku? That's Azerbaijan. And then you needed to actually know Hamilton. The racer. Got the, the racer uh, from a picture. That one I felt like you needed actual... Uh, knowledge of the sport. Yeah, but even so, I know I know two F one racers, and, and Hamilton is the only one I can reliably reliably remember. Yeah, I I remembered having heard of him once I heard the correct response, but I didn't have enough knowledge to to know that one. But but the rest of them, I was like, that is not an F one question so much as a question about something else paired with a factoid mm-hmm. about about f1 right the f1 formula one what do people call it see like this is how i know you can call it yeah but i kind of like when jeopardy does things like that yeah i i I do too i think an entire category of you have to know f1 stuff would would land outside of the typical americans you know purview yeah so i don't think that would be necessarily you know all things are fair and trivia because if it's a fact it's trivia but it's also a show that has to appeal to an audience, so... Yeah, so it's it's nice when they um, sort of introduce a lesser-known topic, but then the, the clues are, you know, yeah. accessible via kind of other fields. Mm-hmm. All right, Daily Double number one is in the Feeling Science E category at the $800 level, and Armand finds it at the 11th pick. He has 2,000 to Joe's 1,800 and Emma's 2,200. He makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. These hormones relieve pain, but probably don't give the runners high as once thought. He thinks on it for for a couple seconds, but then gets there. It's endorphins. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Joe is in the lead with 6,600. Armand's right behind him with 6,000. Emma's at 4,600, not too far behind. We have the double Jeopardy categories. Art lovers... Southern Capitals, The National League, Female Founders, Books and Their Movies, and ends in STY. The $1,600 level of Female Founders was very appropriate, given last week. Uh, It was in 1921 she founded the American Birth Control League, the precursor to Planned Parenthood. And if you listened last week, then you heard Emily's deep dive on Emma Goldman. But in the quiz and during the deep dive, she mentioned Margaret Sanger. That's right. Margaret Sanger and Emma Goldman worked together a bit. Um, And I think there were a couple times this week where recent quiz questions connected with uh, Jeopardy clues. Yeah. Yeah. This one stood out to me, but but it wasn't the only one this week. I liked uh, in the ends in STY category at the $1,200. This 
this compound word can mean eager for violence or describing a vampire at feeding time. Joe rang in and then realized that he didn't have a response that fit the whole clue, but then said something anyway. Uh, what is feisty is I think he'd maybe connected that with eager for violence, which I, I can see it. Mm-hmm. And then Armand got the rebound with bloodthirsty. Always good. Even if you don't think that your answer is the one they're looking for to say something rather than nothing. Yep. It is unlikely that they will ever w- be looking for silence. That's yeah. the correct response. I won't yep. say never, but uh, daily double number two is in the books and their movies category at the $2,000 level. Let's pick number five. Emma finds it. She is at 6,600. Joe's at 8,600. Armand is at 4,400. She wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. The title of this 2007 film, adapted from a novel, comes from a Yeats poem that says, An aged man is but a paltry thing. And she does not offer a guess. That is no country for old men. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure it out. thought that was a tricky one. Yeah, it made sense, but I, well, I didn't get to it anyway. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in the art lovers category, which is about art where the the subject is lover is not about you know sort of uh the love of art mm-hmm. emma finds this one as well uh just three clues after her missed daily double number two at this point joe's at 7800 armand is at 4400 emma's at 4800 and she wagers 3000 again which i liked to see that sometimes you see people like miss a daily double and then get another one and uh, and then wager much more conservatively the second time around. But she goes for the exact same wager and gets the clue. Jean-Antoine Watteau's The Perfect Accord has also been translated as perfect this musical term. And she gets it correct with harmony. Yes. Uh, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Joe is in the lead at 11,800. Armand is at 6,800, and Emma is right behind at 11,000. And we have the final Jeopardy category, the world of today. And the clue, partly because it was a monosyllable, this word was chosen as, quote, a noun that conveys the idea of a unit of cultural transmission. Uh, Armand gets it incorrect with what um. Uh, that is, that's not it. Uh, and he wagered 5,000. Emma also missed it with what is thought, and Emma wagered 4,000, and Joe got it correct with what is meme. Mm-hmm. And he also made a cover bet of 10,300. Yeah. So he gets a pretty big payday uh, going into Final Jeopardy real close. Yeah, um, I had, um like a college roommate who was studying anthropology and I was, I was studying religion. And so like both of us had like for, for academic purposes, like learned the definition, a meme is a unit of culture um, <laughs> before the word meme took on, you know, sort of it, it's uh it's current it's meaning, current meaning. Yeah. It's been, um, it's been interesting to see that change happen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Marina Hayes, a textile conservator originally from New York, New York, 
Pete Chattrabuti, an attorney from Washington, D.C., and Joe Feldman, a technology professional from Bethesda, Maryland, whose two-day cash winnings total $45,000. Hey, that's a nice round number. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, the Nifty Fifties, Othello, Macbeth, or Hamlet saith, never won an Emmy, 12-letter words, what are you afraid of, and shoo know it. Hmm. It is shocking that Christine and Hendricks never won an Emmy for Mad Men. I, yeah, that shocking. is shocking. I thought for shocking. sure. Shocking. Yeah. We had a weird series at, in the Shoe Know It at 400. On April 1st, 1960, this doctor was in with its eight-hold 1460 boot, one four sixty being the European date. Marina said, uh, who is Dr. Martin? That was incorrect. Joe got in with who is Dr. Scholes, but that's also incorrect. Uh, the correct response is Dr. Martins. Uh, yeah. Because they're not Doc Martins, as in the shoes that belong to Doc Martin. I would have assumed that they were the shoes that belong to Doc Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, it makes it's hard to know, but yeah. I don't. there is not an apostrophe, I guess. Yep. So... So there we go. Grammar strikes again. Yeah. The shoe category was kind of fun, though. Yeah. I appreciated the 800 This Main Company offers men's Wicked Good moccasins. I'm not sure if Wicked Good is in the in the name of the item. I doubt it. Maybe. I don't know. Possibly. Anyway. Uh, L.L. Bean. Now I feel like I need to... Find out. Find out. Oh, yeah. No, it is in the name of the item. They weren't just trying to give like a like a you know wacky New England New England clue, mm-hmm. but it didn't hurt. Yeah, and there was a a clue about the uh, kind of the trademark red sole of uh, Louboutins, and um, Manolo Blahnik was the favorite shoe of uh, Carrie Bradshaw on Sex in the City. Um, if anyone still has a lot of sex in the city fun facts floating around their brain. I do not. Yeah. And I'm not sure I ever did. Mm. All right. Daily double number one is in the Othello Macbeth or Hamlet category at the $400 level. Pick number 12. Uh, Marina finds it. She's at 2000. Joe is at 1800. Pete is at zero. And uh, she wagers 1000. And she should probably wager 2000 but she gets a clue. Othello, quote, And on the proof, there is no more but this. Away at once with love or this emotion. One he is told to beware. And Marina guesses, what is hate? But that is jealousy. Hmm. The theme of Othello. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Joe is at 5,800, Pete's at 800, and Marina is at 3,400. We have the Double Jeopardy categories, the Map of Europe, Archaeology, Glossary, Dual Biographies, Government Programs, Hit Me, and With Your Best Shot. Shot in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite terms in the archaeology. Actually, the Archaeology Glossary one, just in general, I really liked. Uh, the $2,000 level, though. This ology is the term for dating events by counting the growth rings that trees add annually. That's dendrochronology. Mm, Marina yeah. got it. I like that term. And more than once in my life, 
that term has been mentioned or, or something has come up and I like I'll mention offhand that that's called dendrochronology or, or something like that. And it's one of those it's one of those facts that gets people to just like stop and stare at you. Uh-huh. Because it's very, very rare that you're in a situation where it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense for someone to, to know that right now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It always feels good. Yeah. It's great because, like, it's hard to, like, you hear the definition, and you're like, How, what would you possibly call that? And then you hear dendrochronology, and if you're a nerd, <laughs> you're like, oh, well, of course that makes sense. <laughs> what, right? like, what else would it be called? We couldn't yeah. call it anything else. Yeah. And the dual biographies at the $1,200 level. Oh, when the Windsor story is an intimate portrait of Edward VIII and this woman whom he loved. That was a triple stumper. That's Wallace Warfield Simpson. I didn't know her middle name. But I think I've oh. mentioned before on the podcast how the name Wallace Simpson is just so interesting to me. It, it, is, it is a very interesting name. And it, it sticks very easily for me. Yeah. That dual biographies category is where we find Daily Double number two at the $1,600 level at the 15th pick. Marina finds this one. Uh, she has 5000 at this point to Joe's 9800 and Pete's 2400 She wagers 2000 and gets the clue. A biography of this pair includes chapters entitled The Mikado and The Savoy Theater. Um, and of course, that is Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, she gets it right. Who wrote the Mikado is... Right. That's the real question. I, would, I wouldn't put it at the $1,600 level, but also maybe maybe my uh, knowledge base is a little skewed. Maybe. I definitely wouldn't have gotten it from the pictures, because I was like, oh, they look like literally every person in pictures from that time period. Uh-huh. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So. Uh, and Daily Double number three is in the archaeology glossary category at the $800 level. It's pick number 27, and Joe finds it. He's at 12,600, Pete's at 10,800, and Marina is at 7,800. He wagers 2,000. He gets a clue published in 1836, Christian Thompson's three-age system refers to the progression of early crafters using these three materials. And he guesses what are stone, bronze, and copper. Oh, so close. That's stone, bronze, and iron. Stone Age, Bronze mm -hmm. Age, and Iron Age. Yeah. Which always confuses me that the Iron Age came after the Bronze Age because bronze is an alloy. Mm. And iron is not. But it uh, that's whatever. That's how it is. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, we have a very close game. Uh, Marina leads with 11,000. Pete is 200 behind her with 10,800. Joe is 200 behind Pete with 10,600. We have the final Jeopardy category, Poets Corner at Westminster Abbey. Oh. which sometimes oh. like you sometimes you get like such vague categories you know it's like world geography yeah or like people history yeah <laughs> um this, this one's it's it's pretty tightly defined mm -hmm. like you should have a pretty solid sense i think from this category title of like how likely are you to know this mm -hmm. um the clue is at his 1892 burial fit for a baron the organist put music to his words, I hope to see my pilot face-to-face -face when I have crossed the bar. Joe tried, who is Lord Byron? Uh, that is not correct. He did not wager anything. Uh, he stays at 10,600. Pete also 
guess who is Lord Byron? He also didn't wager anything. Uh, so he stands at 10,800. And Marina also guessed who is Lord Byron? Wagered half of what she had. Not a cover bet. Nope. <laughs> On the other hand, both of her competitors wagered zero. So, it's you know. Weird, weird situation here. It's a, yep. It's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting situation. Marina, Marina drops down to 5,500. 5, um, they were looking for Alfred Lord Tennyson from his famous poem, Crossing the Bar. I did not actually know that. I didn't either. But I'm, I'm happy to say that I got Tennyson only because I was like, the only two names that came to mind were Byron and Tennyson. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Byron, for if some reason, that Baron, seems wrong. you would already have like made yourself a little mnemonic that's like, Baron Byron, right? right. Like, <laughs> Or something, yeah. Yeah. So, it just didn't seem right to be Byron, so. Yeah. I, I also got to Lord Tennyson, although I did not know the poem. So, uh, since Marina drops into third place, Pete is our new champion uh, with 10,800. Yeah. Uh, so on Wednesday, we have the contestants Hallie Ryard, a real estate attorney from Waukee, Iowa, Laurel Tucker, an associate professor from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and Pete Chachabuti, an attorney from Washington, D.C., whose one-day cash winnings total $10,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Statuary Hall, the state represented, Standing That Ship, Chuck D times three, Diet Hard with a Vengeance, Let's go back in time machine movies and words derived from body parts. These were some these were some categories here. They were some categories. Chuck D times three. Three people <laughs> who could be called Chuck D. Yes. Only one clue dealing with the rapper Chuck D. The other, the other Chuck D's in questions were Charles Dickens and Charles Darwin. Yes, ah. which it was fun. I like that. <laughs> no, it's fun. Categories like diet hard with a vengeance like really annoy me because like diet culture is garbage, but also like I have a lot of fad diet facts in my brain. Mm -hmm. Most of these were not fad diet specific. Most of them were about foods that might be recommended on various uh diet plans yeah i felt that i felt that this one was not did, did not lean so much into the problematic aspects of diet culture as some other diet categories have uh -huh. yeah this was more of more just nutritious things yeah to consider yeah had a, a miss and a rebound at the thousand dollar level there asking about what are the vegetables such as broccoli that have cross cross shaped flowers and a name that means cross bearing laurel laurel tried cruciform that means cross shaped cruciferous is the correct response there mm -hmm. hallie got the rebound on that one yeah no but they didn't listen to my father damien deep dive no they missed father damien from hawaii yeah. Unbelievable. I got Father Damien from Hawaii. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Because I talked to you about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't get it when it was a quiz question on the podcast, but, but now I did. Daily Double number one is in words derived from body parts. 
at the $600 level, and Laurel finds it at the 13th pick. She has 1200 to Pete's 2800 and Hallie's $1,000. Uh, she makes it a true daily double and gets the clue, a list of terms with definitions. It comes from the Greek for tongue, and she gets it correct with what is a glossary. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Pete's at 4200 and Laurel and Hallie are tied with 4000 each. We have the double Jeopardy categories, literary title characters, science podge, municipal music, in the dictionary, Ola, dash O-L-A, and he was a shogun. I don't get it. That's, her Her name was Lola, she was a showgirl, Copacabana. Oh. Is the song. At the Copa, Copacabana. That yeah, one. yeah. Yeah. I know that, yeah. I get it now. I did it's, not. It's a stretch. It was, it was too much of a stretch <laughs> for me, it's apparently. It's a stretch. Yeah. Um, it would take... It would take both knowledge of the song and, like, really impeccable delivery from the host. I, I don't remember Mayim's delivery. I'm sure it was fine, but... Uh, yeah, I think it was just kind of straight. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird pun. You'd, you'd have to really sell it. Yeah. The $800 clue of Ola. The clue is Carl Ditters von Dittersdorf, whose name will take any excuse to say, wrote a popular concerto in F major for this instrument. Hallie got it with... She said, what is Viola? It's viola. Viola, yeah. It's viola. I was with Hallie on what I guess was a mispronunciation at the $1,200 level of literary title characters. A man called this name is a 59-year-old curmudgeon who drives a sob. I haven't read this book, but I've seen it. It's like one of those things that like gets put out in like on the front table or like in the window of Barnes mm-hmm. and Noble, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always assumed that it was a man called Ove which is what Hallie said. Uh, but Ova, I guess, is how you pronounce that name. Mayim sure. corrected her. Uh, yeah. Although they took it. I mean, yeah, I would pronounce it Ove. Yeah. Because I don't know any better. Daily Double number two is in the Ola category. It's at the $1,600 level. Moral finds it. It's pick number six. She is at... 4800 Pete is at 5000 Hallie's at 4000 She wagers 3000 uh, and gets the clue... In 1960, a House subcommittee investigated this practice of bribing DJs to play certain songs. And she has no idea, but that is payola. I learned the word payola when I was reading through my Jeopardy contestant contract or whatever, like my paperwork for Jeopardy. Yes. The reason that none of us can say where we work, I think. Um, you know, like you're not supposed to like mention any, you know, like your, like your place of business or like any, like anything like that. Like, um, Mm -hmm. like it's in the like payola, like clause. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a, that sounds kind of like, I, I feel like I'd heard the word before and assumed that it was like come some kind of like slang, you know, like, like moolah, right. It's like, you know, slang for money. I was like, oh, you know, like, I think I, I had assumed that it was just, you know, some kind of like, you know, slangy expression. But no, apparently, you know, that's that's what that means. And like, I, I re- very specifically remember like, like reading through my like Jeopardy contestant paperwork and learning that word, like Googling it. Yeah. So I, I felt like I saw like a reaction in her face. And I don't know if that if it was like, oh, right, that was in the contract. Or just or, uh, I've heard that before. Yeah. But it was it was funny to see it as a daily double, having having learned it like 
while reading through my Jeopardy contestant paperwork. Yeah. Daily Double number three is in the Science Podge category at the $1,600 level. And Pete finds it at the 17th pick. He has 5,800 to Laurel's 3,400 and Hallie's 10,000. He wagers 2,000. I'd go a little bigger, I think, if I were in that situation. Um, He gets the clue. In 1868, remains of these hyphenated early humans were found in a shallow cave in France's Dordogne region. Um, And he gets it correct with who are the Cro-Magnons. Or, you know, the Cro-Magnon. Yeah, there was was like a learned league question about this a while back. And like, all of a sudden, like I looked at it, it was like, oh, that's a French word that I've been saying magnons this whole time. <laughs> well, that's how I've always, but, uh, yeah, I've yeah. always heard it pronounced Cro-Magnon. Probably yeah, should but, not. Yeah, Magnon. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Pete's at 8,600, Laurel's at 11,000, and Hallie is at 14,000. We get the final Jeopardy category, television history, and the clue in the opening scene of its July 21, 1969 pilot episode, a man carves the letter D into wet cement. Pete guessed what is Dick Tracy and wagered 8,000. That is incorrect. Laurel wrote what is G, uh, which is an incorrect response also, and wagered 6201. And Hallie wrote what is L, and that is also incorrect, uh, wagered 8,001. But that means Hallie ends up with 5,999, which is enough to be the champion. The correct answer here was Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. In the opening scene. Okay, opening scene, not like the not like the introduction. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes sense. I did not get there. I did not either. I thought that was a really uh, yeah. I thought that was hard to make that leap. Mm-hmm. The the specificity of the letter D. Yeah. Pointed like pointed me in the direction of okay something with D with a letter D, but. That was not not to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that may have been what led me astray also. All right. So on Thursday, June 30th, we have the contestants Hua Kwa, a portfolio manager from Naperville, Illinois, David Bizdak, a philosophy professor from Syracuse, New York, and Hallie Ryard, a real estate attorney from Waukee, Iowa, whose one-day cash winnings total 5999 And we have the Jeopardy round categories First Lady Firsts, Stan Countries, journalism one letter makes a difference i won an emmy for that drama and tales from the unclaimed baggage center this is the second time this week we've had an emmy category yeah nobody knew jeremy strong from succession severance was the word that popped into my head mm. and then they said succession i was like ah oh, yeah that is Close-ish. the 2021 yeah we just finished watching the most recent season of Succession, so it was fresh in my mind. Gotcha. It, it's it's a good show, although sometimes excruciating. That's what I've heard. That's definitely how I want my TV, excruciating. That's, we, we've gone on from Succession to Stranger Things, so I guess that seems to be how we want our TV in my house. <laughs> we, that's just, that's that seems, oh, oh, and before that it was Squid Game, so... Very nice, yes. Yeah. Definitely light-hearted yeah. stuff there. Yeah, apparently apparently, just, yeah, no, we, uh, we just really like the excruciating stuff. We had a fun miss and then get 
in the journalism category, the $400 level, because they both attracted readers, a 19th century character in newspaper comics lent his name to this sensational type of journalism. Halley guessed what is muckraker, uh, that it was yellow journalism, this is a triple stumper, and then the $1,000 level, dirty term for a journalist who uncovers corruption in government, Ida Tarbell, was a famous one, that's a muckraker, but Hua got that one, not mm-hmm. uh, Hallie. Yeah, that was fun. I like when that happens. They got Turkmenistan and Tajikistan in the correct order, but I think we're the writers set that up to be another of those like that very easily could have been the same thing. Ah, uh, yes. They they had uh in the in the stand countries category the eight hundred and thousand dollar level. Uh the eight hundred was they showed they showed them they showed in the map and uh asked for the nation that starts with a T or should suit you to a T uh became and became independent in nineteen ninety one and said don't pick the wrong one. Dave David got it, it was Turkmenistan and then the next one below that uh they showed that one on the map also and said it became independent in 1991 and should suit you to a T. Don't pick the wrong one. That one was Tajikistan. And Hua got that one. I mixed them up. So I got to say Tajikistan twice at home. <laughs> and you, be right the second time. <laughs> nice. It's a 50, yeah. 50% shot anyway. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in that Stan Country's category at the $400 level. Pick number 19, David finds it. He's at 1600 Hallie's also at 1600 Hua's at 3000 and he wagers only 600 I would have just bet it all. Uh, maybe he's not too confident in geography. Mm, it's yeah. a clue. Iran is on the western border of this country. The Arabian Sea on its southern. And uh, he guesses what is Kazakhstan. Uh, but that is incorrect. It is, in fact, Pakistan. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Kazakhstan is landlocked. Well, I guess it's on, like, the Caspian. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Hallie's at 1,600, David's at 4,600, and Hua's at 5,400. And the double Jeopardy categories are Thanks for the Memoirs, Science Words, Kentuckian Entertainers, Eat, in quotation marks, Drink, and Be Merry. Uh, tricky double miss in, uh, in Kentuckian entertainers at the $1,200 level. This pioneering directi- director of films like Intolerance was born in Oldham County in 1875. David tried Who is Griffiths. Hallie tried Who is Griffin. Hua got it correct with Who is Griffith. D.W. Griffith. No S. Mm-hmm. It's been a bad week for that. Yeah. There, there, yeah, we saw that a number of times. Yeah. The drink category was a good one for me. I knew all these drinks. Lush. <laughs> um, I also knew all the drinks. They missed the $2,000 one. A Negroni traditionally has gin vermouth and this bitter Italian aperitif. Hallie tried what is Aperol. That's not a bad guess, um, but Campari yes. is, uh, is the kind of uh, most unusual, I guess, ingredient yeah. in a Negroni. When I'm not drinking scotch while we record, often I'm drinking a Negroni. Really? Now you know. Yeah. Okay. The compar the 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 bitterness. It's it's like the cloying herbal bitterness. I can't do. It's 
too much for me from Campari. I really like it. Ugh. Ooh, ugh. I can't. I, I cannot abide anything that is licorice flavored. However, I think we've talked about that. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I tried because I have a whole bottle of Campari that I bought when I started learning different cocktails. Uh huh. And I tried a Negroni a couple of times, and after the second one, I was like, I just don't enjoy this. I should not make myself drink this or make mm-hmm. it again. So now I just have Campari sitting in my cabinet for the rest of time, I guess. Yeah. Gotta con somebody else into drinking it. Yeah, I guess. I yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the Double Jeopardy category. It's in the Double Jeopardy <laughs> category. In the ET category at the $2,000 level. And Hua finds it at the sixth pick. She has 7,400 at this point to Hallie's 2,400 and Dave's. Uh, David's at 7,400 also. Uh, Hua wagers 2,500 and gets the clue. This synonym for gloomy or pessimistic is also a conductor's indication of the start of a measure. And she gets it correct with downbeat. Yeah. And daily double number three is in the science words category, also at the $2,000 level. Pick number 20 and David finds it. He's up at 11,000. Hallie's at 5,600, Hua's at 10,700, and he bets 2,000. It's the clue, a very low-carb, high-fat diet gets you into this state when your body starts using fats to create energy. And he responds, what is ketogenic? Which I guess if it is a ketogenic state, that's acceptable. They did accept it mm-hmm. uh, with a moment's hesitation. Uh, I think normally we'd call that ketosis. Ketosis, yeah. But I mean, he, it fit the wording of the clue. So, yeah, yeah. I had the I had the same thought about ketosis. At the end of the double jeopardy round, um, David is in the lead with fifteen thousand. Hua has thirteen thousand nine hundred. Hallie has seventy two hundred, and we have the final jeopardy category: U.S. cities and the clue. This U.S. city now has 10 times the population of the other U.S. city for which it was named in 1845. Hallie wrote most of what is New York, uh, but not quite all. Uh, It doesn't matter. It would have been incorrect anyway. She wagered $71.99, all but a dollar. Drops down to a buck. Hua has what is San Francisco. That's not correct either. She's wagered $13,000. That drops her down to $900. David did finish writing what is new york but it's not correct for him either uh he's wagered thirteen thousand. that drops him down to two thousand which is the highest score on the board uh so that gives him the win yes and they were looking for portland oregon yes named for portland maine apparently yes i i got there wasn't too confident because i was like i I, was i have yeah that is the only like west coast because i you'd think it would be a western city in 1845 yeah. Either Western or like kind of Midwest. But I couldn't think of any big Midwest cities that also have a an East Coast city. Yeah. Except for Portland. And that's only really like, thank you, Ludacris, for getting that lyric in my head about hoes in different area codes. <laughs> Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. Anyway. Yeah, I, I got to... Portland, but with very little confidence. Just like this is a pair of cities mm-hmm. that I think fits the timeline. But that's that's really all I had. But it would have been enough. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, so on Friday, we have the contestants Cheyenne Sadek, a medical scribe from Potomac, Maryland. Eleanor Dixon, a freelance technical editor from Vero Beach, Florida. And David Bizdek, a philosophy professor from Syracuse, New York, whose one-day cash winning totals $2,000. Anyway, the Jeopardy round categories on a holiday. U.S. cities. Animals and the law. Fruits and vegetables in French. Game plan and X's and O's. Each response contains an X followed at some point by an O. How'd you do in the French fruit foods? Oh, I did great. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I did not. This will be a surprise to regular listeners, but my French is not that good. Mm. I'm sure they're shocked. Uh, the $600 level um, choux, uh, choux de, Br- de Bruxelles is Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. Eleanor rang in and then, like, hesitated a little bit, I think, uh, yeah. and then and then said cabbage. And I wonder, so people may know, even if you're not, like, that familiar with your, like, French fruit and vegetable terms, you may know mon petit chou is a common term of endearment in French. And if you don't know your fruits and vegetables, you might, like, you would assume that it would be like, you know, I don't know, like... Something cute, not something, my little something cabbage. Something cute and, and sweet, <laughs> not a cabbage. Yeah, so, like, I think that definitely sort of, like, slowed me down, like, slowed down my language acquisition on that particular word, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know whether that is why Ellen hesitated, but, like, for me, like... Knowing it originally as like a like kind of a like a, something people would call like you know a, a, a beloved child, right? Uh, and that and then trying to learn my French words for vegetables, uh, it, it was sort of at cross purposes. Yeah, there was a thousand dollar triple stumper in game plan. Mm. Using a small mallet, tap out the blocks one by one until someone topples the standing animal. Sean guessed what's a whack-a-mole, and Eleanor guessed what is Jenga. That's don't break the ice. Don't break the ice. It's, it's so affirming, because I remember that game. Uh-huh. Do you remember that game? I do, but I d- didn't really play it. Oh, my neighbor, when I was like six or seven, our next-door neighbor had it, and we played that a lot. Mm. Also, like, Ants in the Pants... And and I think there was one more that I don't remember what company Hasbro or whoever made it like a, a a group of like three or four little kids games kind of like in that same vein. Mm-hmm. Don't break the ice is um, fairly popular with like occupational therapists mm. and like that kind of thing. Makes sense. Um, because it's like fine motor. I mean, a lot of games have fine motor aspects. And then like Don't Break the Ice also has like, like brings in the kind of like emotional stuff that mm-hmm. like it, it's like it's an interesting, you know, it's a, it's, it is a, a helpful combination right. for for working with kids who are like, you know, kind of trying to figure out like, motor control and emotional regulation and those anyway i've i've heard uh i've heard a couple of different people say oh that's real it's really helpful because like you know like you have to control your body while the anticipation rises right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. anyway my my churchy brain (laughs) the on a holiday category at 200 martin luther spooked the catholic church when he chose this fall day in 1517 to proclaim his 95 theses (laughs) my brain very helpfully was like 
Reformation Day. Reformation Day. Who doesn't know that? October 31st, Reformation Day. Yeah, he picked a great Stop day. Stop it, Emily. He picked a great day for the Reformation because it was Reformation Day. Yeah, nobody else knows October 31st as Reformation Day. It's also Halloween, but... Uh, some, some day called Halloween. Yeah. That some people talk about sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, Daily Double number one is in U.S. cities at the $800 level, and David finds it at the 10th pick. He has 1400 to Eleanor's 2000 Cheyenne is at zero. Uh, Dave Wager's 1000 I would I would make it a true Daily Double at this point, yeah. but, you know, to, to each his own. Uh, he gets the clue at the foot of the Wasatch Range. This capital city was built on the bed of ancient Lake Bonneville. Uh, he tries what is Santa Fe, but it's Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. The Bonneville Salt Flats, right? Yep. Bonneville should yeah. always make you think Utah and Salt Lake City. Yep. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Eleanor is with, in the lead with 3,400. David has 3,000. Cheyenne has 2,000. We have the double Jeopardy categories one word nonfiction titles, filmed in Georgia, it's a process, 20th century names. A Disaster of Biblical Proportions, and Italian Loanwords. At the $2,000 level of one-word nonfiction titles, the clue was she's the author of the female empowerment bestseller Untamed and the wife of Abby Wambach. I knew this one right off the bat. Cheyenne tried who is Megan Rapinoe. Just like thinking of another major soccer star, female soccer star, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Glennon Doyle who was like a spiritual like inspirational writer before she was married to Abby Wambach and she she made a couple of videos like during the the Women's World Cup which were hysterical um ex- trying to explain soccer to her non-soccer fan like <laughs> fans of her writing okay um uh and you can like hear Abby slowly losing it in the background as Glennon <laughs> talks about like oh in the middle there's like an intermission. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, like uh, using like a lot of like theater language to uh, mm-hmm. to describe like what, what's going on with with a soccer match. Yeah. And and then there was there's there's this great bit where she's like there's something called offsides, and what you need to know about offsides is that it's a spiritual discipline. There are things that are not for humans to understand. <laughs> They're wrapped in mystery, like offsides. <laughs> um, uh, that's good. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it's great. It's a great video. Go find the video. It's awesome. Um, Although I do yeah. have to say offsides is, is very a very clear rule, and it's, it can be understood. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> Well, a lot of people are like, yeah, oh, nobody knows what offsides mean. Like, I, yeah. everybody seems to say that, or not everybody, but a lot of people say that. And that's that's mm. not actually true. If you are yeah. trying to watch soccer and like for the first time or whatever and get into it, you can understand what offsides is. I believe in you, fellow <laughs> nerd. <clears throat> All right. Anyway. Well, that that was an excellent pep talk. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Daily Devil number two is in the one word nonfiction titles. Uh, it's pick number four, and David finds it at the $1,200 level. He's at $4,600. Eleanor's at $3,400. Cheyenne's at $2,000. And he wagers $2,000. And 
And the clue is, this word for all kinds of distractions from clear thinking is the title of a book subtitled A Flaw in Human Judgment. And he guesses what is fallacy, but that is noise. Mm. And uh, Daily Double number three is in the Disaster of Biblical Proportions category, which was a fun category. It's at the $1,600 level, and Eleanor finds it at the 25th pick. She has 6,600 to Dave's 4,600 and Cheyenne's 9,600. She wagers 2018. I assume maybe a significant date yeah, for 20, her. 2018 must have been 20, important, yeah. important year. Important year for her, I would guess. Um, she gets the clue. There's a lot of smiting and destroying after this group steals the Ark of God. Things don't end well for Goliath either. Uh, she guesses who are the Philistines. That is correct. And then the scores are all wacky from that point on. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. Uh, at the end of the double jeopardy round, David's at 6,600. Eleanor is at 12,218. And Cheyenne is at 10,400. Uh, we get the final Jeopardy category, World Geography. And the clue, Mont Bellevue de Lenini. <laughs> Who knows? I, I don't. I have, I've, got, I've got nothing. I think nothing. I got it. I think I got it. I think I that nailed it. That sounded right. Yeah, go it with it. <clears throat> is the highest point in this European possession largely covered by the Amazon rainforest? And I think for the first time this week, everyone gets it. Uh, David wrote, what is... Started writing what is Equatorial Guinea, that's over in Africa, and then wrote and then crossed that off and put French Guiana or French Guyana. Despite the misspelling, he spelled it with a Y and it's with an I. Uh, they accepted it and he wagered 3801. Cheyenne also wrote what is French Guyana with the correct spelling uh, and wagered 2801. And Eleanor got it correct as well and wagered 8600. Yeah, it, it, it was a cover bet. Who can um, really know when the scores are this weird? It's, yeah, I know. When it's not double zeros at the end, it's hard to tell. It was a cover bet. Um, so she is the winner going into next week. That's right. It's been kind of a weird week. It has been indeed. But I guess that it, it's been more it's been more normal outside of this season, I would say. Yeah, that's fair. Like more missed clues, more changes of champion some some generally more normal jeopardy i think yeah yeah fair enough that brings us to the end of the week and this is the point at which we uh pause to remind you that we have a patreon it is patreon.com slash potent you can go there to support us financially slide us a few bucks a month and help us uh maintain the podcast uh, with the general costs that it incurs you can find some exclusive content. We put the quiz questions up. We have some other stuff up there, like outtakes, uh, you know, clips and stuff like that. Uh, so if you want to support us, that is where you can do it. Patreon.com slash potent potables. And of course, we always like to uh, remind you that if your money is better spent somewhere else, which let's be honest, it probably is. We encourage you to look toward organizations that are doing good work in our country uh, and in the world. Um, you can find those in the show notes. Most recently, we have uh, pointed you toward, I think it's just abortionfund.org. Uh, yeah, abortionfunds.org. Abortionfunds.org. Uh, the National Network of Abortion Funds. So you can check that out. Uh, okay. Emily. 
Yes. Tell the good people what my deep dive is about. It's about Sesame Street. It is not about Sesame Street. Oh. Haven't we had a couple? Maybe we haven't. I don't think we've had a deep dive about Sesame Street. I mean, Seema. Oh, speaking of this, this is apropos. Oh, oh Seema we Dahl- did Dahlheimer Seema. did do one about Big Bird, and also shout out to Seema for being on the chase a few weeks back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and doing and crushing it. Sorry, um, that was a that was a weird time for me, like being away on vacation. Yeah, no, Seema, Seema was Seema did Big Bird. That's right, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, so of course it is about Lord Tennyson. It is not about Lord Tennyson. I would not talk about a poet. Who do you think I am? <laughs> Is it about Wallace Simpson? It's not about Wallace Simpson. Although that one was close. That one was close. Uh, it is from the Wednesday game, Standing That Ship. The $1,000 level is a triple stumper. In 1807, Robert Fulton averaged about five miles per hour on a 150-mile trip up the Hudson to Albany on this steamboat. That was the Claremont. And that was a triple stumper. Uh, although that's not actually the name of the boat. Hmm. At all. It was was not called that, <laughs> uh, which I found out after I uh, looked into it. Um, so I'm going to talk about Robert Fulton and the uh, the steamboat that was referred to as Fulton's Folly. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Robert Fulton lived from uh, November 14th, 1765 to February 24th, 1815. He was an American engineer and inventor and uh, is widely credited with developing the world's first commercially successful steamboat. And that steamboat was actually called the North River Steamboat. Uh, It became known as the Claremont much later, after Fulton's death. Um, And that particular boat in 1807, as the clue states, uh, traveled along the Hudson River from New York City to Albany and back again. Uh, in just 62 hours, <laughs> averaging, like it said, five miles an hour, just a, just tearing up that river, a breakneck pace. Uh, Robert Fulton was, he was kind of an interesting dude. He moved around a bit, uh, but he is certainly best known for uh, his work on developing the commercially viable steamboat. But here's some more information about him. He was born on a farm in Little Britain, Pennsylvania. Like I said, in 1765, uh, he came from a moderately well-off family. He had three sisters, Isabella, Elizabeth, and Mary, and a younger brother, Abraham. In his early adulthood, he lived in Philadelphia for six years, where he painted portraits and landscapes and drew houses and machinery. Um, in 1785, he bought a farm at Hopwell Township near Pittsburgh and moved his mother and family to it. Uh, In 1786, at the age of 23, he traveled to Europe, where he would live for the next 20 years. He went to England in 1786 uh, with letters of introduction to Americans abroad uh, from people he had met in Philadelphia. He was in correspondent with the artist Benjamin West, who was a British-American historical painter. West took Fulton into his home, where he lived for several years and studied painting. He gained many commissions painting portraits and landscapes, which allowed him to support himself. However, his like real interest was mechanical inventing. Uh, he became caught up in the enthusiasm of the canal mania, which is a term <laughs> I had not come across before. Yeah. Uh, in 1793, he began developing his ideas for tugboat canals with inclined planes instead of locks. 
and he obtained a patent for this idea in 1794. And he also began working on the ideas for uh, steam-powered boats. He published a pamphlet about canals and patented a dredging machine and other inventions in 1794. And in that year, he moved to Manchester to gain some knowledge about English canal engineering. Uh, he proposed plans for steam-powered vessels to both the United States and British governments. These were not the first steamships. Steamships had appeared uh, significantly earlier the earliest steam-powered ship, which uh, used an engine that moved oars, was built by Claude de Geoffroy in France. And it was tested in 1776. And then the, that shipwright built a few others. So these were not the first steamships that uh, we had, but Fulton became like interested in this and eventually led to steamboats that were, like, like I said, commercially viable. Uh, so he kept learning more about canals and uh steamwork in 1796 he wrote a treatise on canal construction between then and 1799 he had a boat constructed on the uh, duke of bridgewater's timber yard under the supervision of benjamin powell after expensive trials and because of the configuration of the de design the team feared that the paddles on the boat might damage the clay lining of the canal and eventually abandon it in 1797, Fulton went to Paris, where he was well-known as an inventor. He studied French and German and showed off a couple of paintings. He also came under the employ of uh, Napoleon Bonaparte before returning to England. Um, while he was in France, he approached the Minister of Marine and was granted permission to build the first kind of like viable submarine. Hmm. Uh, it sailed in July 1800 in the Seine River, um, and it was called the Nautilus. It's a muscle-powered submarine, so you, like, pedal underneath it. Huh. He also experimented with torpedoes while he was there. He also met Robert Livingston, Robert R. Livingston, who was the U.S. ambassador to France uh, in 1801. They both had scientifically curious minds, and they decided to collaborate on building a steamboat and trying to operate it in the Seine. They launched it on august 9th 1803 but it sank hmm. in 1804 fulton switched allegiance and moved back to britain uh, where he was commissioned by william pitt the younger to build a range of weapons for use by the royal navy against uh, the french fleet among his inventions were the world's first modern naval torpedoes um, after the battle of trafalgar uh, which i talked about a month or so ago mm-hmm the risk of French invasion was greatly reduced, and so Fulton was kind of sidelined by the British uh, government. So, in 1806, he returned to the United States, and in 1807, he and Robert Livingston built the North River Steamboat. Uh, it became known as the Claremont because two years after Fulton's death in 1817, Cadwallader D. Colden's biography, what a name, of, of Fulton... Uh, used the name Claremont for the ship. And since Colden was a friend of both Fulton and Livingston, everyone thought it was authoritative. And so now we just call it the Claremont. But nobody at the time actually called it that. Uh, huh. It gets the name from the Claremont estate, uh, which was Livingston's estate in uh, uh, Upper New York. Um, and that was where the ship stopped on its trip between 
uh, New York City and Albany had stopped at Claremont on the way there mm-hmm. and on the way back. So we're in 1807. Uh, he builds it and, um, yeah, uses it to, to carry passengers between New York City and Albany. Passengers on the maiden voyage included a lawyer named Jones and his family from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, his daughter, Alexandra Jones, later served as a Union nurse on a steamboat hospital in the American Civil War. Uh, while it was being built, people called it Fulton's Folly because they believed that it wouldn't work, right? He tried before in France and it didn't work using steam to power a ship. Like, wh- why would you do that? We, we've we figured it out. We have sails. We know how to sail. We've known how to sail for thousands of years. Why would you do that? But, you know, he was he was single-minded and, and set, set about doing it. Uh, the Claremont had sails as well as a steam engine. But the the engine was the main component, and it was connected to two paddle wheels uh, of 15 feet in diameter. And the engine was 24 horsepower. <laughs> really, really powerful there. So that's the Claremont. 24 uh, is it's a lot of horses. It's a lot of horses. I, I would not want to have to fight that many horses or race that many horses <laughs> or eat that many horses. I would look at that many horses. Mm-hmm. Or one horse that was 24 <laughs> horses all mashed together. Anyway, so from 1811 until his death, Fulton was a member of the Erie Canal Commission, appointed by the governor of New York. And his final design was the floating battery Demologos, uh, which was built to defend New York Harbor during the Royal Navy, or, or from the Royal Navy during the War of 1812. In 1811 and 1812, he also worked with Livingston and Nicholas Roosevelt, who was of the you know Roosevelt family and also an, an inventor, to build a steamboat, the New Orleans, sturdy enough to take people down the Ohio and the Mississippi to New Orleans. Um, and it traveled from Pittsburgh, uh, where it was built, with stops at Wheeling, Virginia, Cincinnati, Ohio, Louisville, and uh, then near Cairo, hmm. um, Illinois, past Memphis to Natchez, and then to New Orleans. This uh, was less than a decade after the United States had acquired the Louisiana Territory. This achievement was like the first breakthrough voyage proving the, the ability of steamboat travel uh, to go upstream against powerful currents uh, and kind of opened up the movement of people along that major river. Uh, he was also elected a member of the American Antiquarian Society in 1814. Hmm. Uh, he was married. In 1808, he married Harriet Livingston. The daughter of Walter Livingston, who was the and and niece of Robert Livingston, and uh, she was nineteen years younger than him, but she was also well educated and an accomplished painter and musician. And they had four children: Robert, Julia, Cornelia, and Mary. Robert Fulton died in eighteen fifteen in New York City from tuberculosis. He had been walking home on the frozen Hudson River when one of his friends, Thomas Emmett fell through the ice. In rescuing his friend, Fulton got soaked with icy water, and it is believed he contracted pneumonia from that. Sure. Um, um, that's not really how that works. That's not how pneumonia works. But okay. He was diagnosed with uh, with consumption and died at 49 years old. Uh, and he was buried in Trinity Church Cemetery for Trinity Episcopal Church at Wall Street. I know Trinity Episcopal Church. Yeah. Near other... Uh, notable Americans, such as Alexander Hamilton and Albert Gallatin. Mm-hmm. 
his posthumous honors include uh, a marble statue in National Statuary Hall. He's also honored for his development of the steamship technology in New York City's Hudson Fulton Celebration of the Centennial of 1909. Um, a replica of the Claremont was built for that as well. Five ships of the U.S. Navy have borne the name USS Fulton. And uh, the Guatemalan government in 1910 erected a bust of Fulton in one of the parks of Guatemala City. Hmm. He is also in the National Inventors Hall of Fame in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, he has a lot of other stuff named for him as well, like, you know, county cities and things like that. Nice. So there you go. That's Robert Fulton uh, and a little bit about the, the Claremont or North River Steamboat. Yeah, the story of, like, Fulton's folly is really just that a lot of people thought he was foolish and then it worked. And that's that. Like, <laughs> you can try to add drama to it, but it's really like he had a rich friend in Livingston who was willing to support him and, and share his vision. So they were able to make it happen. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So, nice. so there, there's that. I know that yeah. was a, a little bit shorter, but. Uh, you know, I I feel like we, we owed the listeners uh, a deep dive that was not absurdly long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you ready for a quiz? Uh, I'm always, always ready for a quiz. Yes. All right. Let's have a quiz. I call this quiz Steam Boats and Steamboats. Here is question one. Steam, S-T-E-A-M, is just another acronym that policymakers and bureaucrats like to use as a way to reinvent the wheel for education. For two points apiece, what are the five fields that Steam stands for? Ah, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Yep. They just stuck the arts in there for reasons right because now it's inclusive and yeah. all five of those are equal of course in uh -huh. both scope and importance <sighs> definitely if you're teaching all of those things you're also teaching that's just what education is okay yep correct yes you did it yay you got all five <laughs> all right uh question two in poker a full boat is comprised of what combination of cards? And uh, as a hint, this hand is officially called a full house. And I'll also, I'll, I'll also tell you, it's not specific cards, but like, what okay. is your what is your hand? What hand do you have? Oh, it's like it's like three of a kind and a pair, right? It is. It is three of a kind and a pair. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. No, you didn't I, I was need to trying be like... to come up with like a like a like a three of a kind and a pair that would then like make a boat pun. No, no, no. It's just any three of a kind or a pair. Okay, um, cool. A lot of yeah. A lot of times people will will they'll call that a boat, a full boat, rather than a full house. Okay. Uh, nice. Nice. Okay. Now I know. You got twenty points. Question three. According to its official website, a Colorado town got its name from fur trappers in the early 1800s who thought they heard the chugging sound of a steamboat nearby. The sound was actually coming from what kind of natural formation which provides the second word in the town's name, the first being steamboat. There is also a popular nearby ski resort of the same name, if that helps. Huh. Kind of natural formation. And you said it's a ski. So it's a town with two words. And the first one is steamboat. Okay. So I'm asking, what's the second 
word, I, essentially. Okay. I don't think I know the town. And I don't have a word coming to mind. So I'm going to try and follow this, the, like the ski clue. And I'm going to guess Vale, but I doubt it. Uh, okay. No, Vale is just Vale. Vale is its own thing. Okay, um, cool. It's Steamboat Springs. So ah, are, Steamboat Springs. Oh, okay. There are natural hot springs there that the the story goes that uh, fur trappers who were who were going through the area heard the like gurgling and bubbling sounds of the springs and thought it sounded like a steamboat. Yeah, I knew that wasn't something. Why did I? All right. Anyway, all right. I had I had not. Uh, I didn't know that. So awesome. I also didn't know that until today when I looked it up. Um, all right. Question four. Gamers know that Steam is a video game digital distribution service and storefront. Steam is released by what aptly named company? That company also developed titles such as Dota 2, Half-Life, Left 4 Dead, and Portal. Ooh. I don't know. I have Steam. Like, I have, like, <laughs> like, like we've, we've played Trivial Pursuit. On, on Steam, yes, on Steam, through, through right? Tabletop yes. Simulator, yes, on yeah. Steam. This is the one that I. This is of all of them. I thought this one would be hard. Yeah, and I have yeah. a clue in there, but it's not. All it's, right, it's a subtle clue. I think it. It must be in gamers know that. That would be my guess. That's the. That's like the. But I don't. But I don't know where. I don't know where to follow that. Ugh. Yeah, I've got nothing. I'm just gonna pass. Okay, that company is called Valve. The clue huh. Steam is released by what happened oh, company. Oh, I see. Okay. I, it was very subtle and would not really get you there yeah. if you weren't, didn't already know it. Yeah, I figured yep. that was probably the most obscure. But yes, that is Valve. All right. Nice. Uh, all right, question five. Bodie McBoatface is the name of the lead boat in a fleet of three robotic lithium battery-powered autonomous underwater vehicles. The moniker Bodie McBoatface was originally intended by the internet public for the research vessel that now carries Bodie. What naturalist is that ship named after? I'll say what British naturalist. British. That's how I get British in there. Naturalist. What British naturalist? I mean... I guess Darwin comes to mind. I'll go with Darwin. Uh, it is more contemporary. It's Sir David Attenborough. Oh, okay. Yes. Do you remember Bodie McBoatface? Uh, I do remember Bodie McBoatface. Okay. I remember Bodie McBoatface so much that we were playing Pandemic Legacy today and we had to... Um, a while back, we had to name our name the diseases, and somehow we ended up with a disease named Bodie McBoat disease. Nice. Uh, so, um, and a disease named Spicy. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd I'd catch that disease. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, yeah, there was the contest or the like the poll to name the research vessel, uh-huh. and Bodie McBoatface won. Um. And then there was an executive decision to name it after uh, Sir David Attenborough. (laughs) 
Uh, but they apparently kept Bodie McBoatface and named one of the, like, autonomous underwater vehicles. Like, one of the, the, the like, little, you know, vessels that kind of launch off of it. Uh, they named that one Bodie McBoatface. That's great. Uh, um, yeah. Have you seen snowplow names? Yes. Oh, snowplow names are so good. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of snow plows, so there's, there's a lot a of good, lot. yeah. Yeah, because every town, you know, gets to name their plows, so mm-hmm. look up, look up some snow plow names. There's some yeah. very good ones. Yeah, they're great. Um, All right, well, I bombed these last three questions. Yeah, sorry, I did time not. Time for redemption. I didn't, didn't mean to, yeah, sorry. No, you have okay. 20, you have 20 points. Uh, the final category is animation. I will wager all of them. Okay. The first significant cartoon with synchronized sound starred Mickey Mouse in debatably his first appearance. The title of the cartoon refers to the vessel he is aboard and is probably a play off of a Buster Keaton film of the previous year. What is that cartoon called? Uh, it's Steamboat Willie, and I think it's debatably because of Plain Crazy, right? <laughs> wow, yes. That's exactly right, yes. Boom. It is Steamboat Willie. Debatably his first appearance because Mickey and Minnie appeared in a test showing of another cartoon called Plane Crazy earlier in that uh-huh. year. And the Buster Keaton film was called Steamboat Bill Jr. or something like that. Huh. Um, and it was apparently not a very good one. It did not do well and Buster Keaton did not work with United Artists after that. Um, but yeah, it's. I always wondered why it's called Steamboat Willie. And it's Mickey Mouse. I always thought, like, was yeah. was he originally called Willie? Was that his name? But mm-hmm. it wasn't. It's just Mickey Mouse. And it's just a joke about a, a movie that no one remembers now. So, <laughs> there you go. Yep. I am awaiting the arrival of my Steamboat Willie-themed backpack. Wow. Yes. I did not know that. So, yep. you're welcome. Okay. Yay. Uh, all right. Well, so, you got 40 points. That's That is respectable. Yay. All right. Well, I redeemed it at the end there. Uh, this was fun. Good. Yeah. I agree. Um, well, thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables one our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. That's right. We'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.